On tonight's episode, we'll talk fab strategy and review some of the draft strategies employed back in March. Plus, hey, we got to talk about the hottest team in baseball, the Mets. Fellow Mets fan, and yes, even one of my softball teammates, Adam Ronis, joins us on the Beat the Shift podcast. All that coming up next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Still playing some ball. I went to two Met games this week. The Mets thrashed the Reds. Kind of fun. I was hoping to see Edwin Diaz get into the game to hear the trumpets, but we'll take the, uh, the 10-2 uh, win yesterday. Uh, how about you? What's going on? I wanted to see him get in. I wanted to see his brother get in also. I wanted to see them pitch against each other. That would have been fun. Yeah, they kept showing in the crowd. Uh, there was a bunch of people there with, with like half Mets, half red shirts, and it, it was their it was their family, right? The mom, dad, yeah, and all yeah, the, it was. Yeah. yeah, so that was kind of fun. Uh, well, we've got a great show for you today. Um, from Fantasy Alarm and the Anti Up Podcast, welcome to the show, Adam Ronis. How are you, Adam? Doing well, man. Glad to join you guys, you know. Big Mets fans like yourself, I've been to a lot of games lately, too. I went on Sunday with Jacob DeGrom on the mound, making his City Field season debut. That was electric. I was there Friday night. That was the only game they lost. But the only game they have lost this season when I went, I think I've been to about eight games. So really excited for the Mets. Uh, City Field is the place to be right now. Absolutely. And aside from being a Mets fan, Adam Ronis actually can vouch for my softball play as Adam filled in a couple weeks ago for, for the second time uh, on, on our softball team, uh, right? Uh, can, can you tell the audience that uh, I actually do play and we actually have a good team? Yeah, definitely a solid squad. I filled in last year and then once again this year. I was hoping to get another week in. I uh, was hoping to fill in last week, but you guys were off. But yeah, you're the pitcher, uh, solid defensive team. And you know, I love playing softball. I think when I talk about it, too, on SiriusXM and tell other people, I think people are like, oh, are you that good? And I'm like, well, come out and see. So I'm not a superstar, but I'm very good. You know, I'm getting older now. So I used to play six games on Sunday, two on Saturday, two during the week. Now it's just pretty much Sunday with being full-time in this industry, covering baseball, football, and basketball from DFS to season-long to betting. So just takes up a lot of time, but I enjoy it, and I've said I'm going to try and play until I'm 60, 70 years old. Uh, that sounds fantastic. And, and by the way, Adam is a fantastic outfielder, uh, play there, and I think that you got on base. Is it the first seven times you came to, to, to bat on our team? Yeah, the first time around was five for five. I did make a couple outs this time. I think, yeah, I walked to lead off. Uh, I think I hit a triple, and a couple of my outs were one was a line drive right at the short, one another line drive right at the third baseman. So I can't be upset with that. I might have had one or two bad at-bats, like, you know, fly balls. But uh, pretty good for the most part. You know, I, I'm not a power hitter, so I want to hit line drives or on the ground, uh, force the defense to make a play. And, you know, just like – and it translates to fantasy too. Know what you're good at. Know what your strengths are and play within it. You know, everyone wants to be a power hitter and a hero. That's not my game. So know what your strengths are and – uh, so it applies in fantasy too. 
Yeah, and Adam is a fantastic fantasy baseball player. We'll talk more about strategy with what he does a little bit later. But since um, you know you are a Mets fan, gotta gotta talk a little bit about Mets today. Um, and the first question to you is, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the Mets trade deadline? They didn't acquire a star player. They just did some marginal upgrades, but so far it looks like they work out. What, what are your overall thoughts on the Mets trade deadline? I think it's easy for people to be disappointed only because with Steve Cohen there and the Mets playing so well, you expected a big splash. You wanted them to go out and do something like the Padres did. So that's the initial reaction. Oh, why didn't we get Wilson Contreras? Why didn't we get a bullpen arm? But when you sit back and look at it, the Mets made their moves in the offseason. Look what they did. Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Mark Kanya, and then they made little additions. It's not sexy, but it's effective. Tyler Naquin has been good. I know it's only a couple weeks, but you put him in a strong side platoon where you know, he gets to face right-handed pitching, and he's going to thrive. Daniel Vogelbach obviously gets on base, and he's been good since coming over. Uh, Darren Ruff crushes left-handed pitching. I think his first at-bat was against... Um, uh, was it? I think the they pinch it. I think it was the Friday game when I was there. I think that was his first at bat, and he hit one off the wall. So they did little things, and it has made the lineup stronger. And I think overall, I think you have to be okay with it. They didn't make the big splash. They weren't going to get Juan Soto. We know that. I think people wanted Wilson Contreras, and the catching situation is still a disaster. But it's the ninth place hitter. If everyone else does their job, you, we're not going to look back and be like, oh, wow, the Mets lost because their catchers were so bad. I find that hard to believe that that will be the reason why they lose. Um, so I'm okay with it when you look back. I, initially that day, I think everyone, why didn't they do more? I thought they were going to spend, but they want to build the farm system. They want to be in a position like the Dodgers are now where they can make those trades and then go out and sign the free agents. So I understand why they did it, uh, but I think the moves they made – are solid uh, when you look from a baseball standpoint. I agree, Ruben. I just want to put some numbers to back all this stuff up. And by the way, these the guys that the Mets got, they're all fantasy relevant because the Mets are, and Buck Showalter are putting these players in a position where they can where they can excel. Daniel Vogelbach is not playing every day, so his weaknesses are not being exposed. He's batting since he joined the Mets. He's batting three forty one, four doubles, two homers, ten RBIs. The Mets are fifteen and two since acquiring him. Tyler Naquin batting three sixty seven, two doubles, two triples, three homers, and Darren Ruff is batting only three thirty three with two doubles and five. RBIs. So with all those guys, they added the guys that they're what they're doing is they're trying to build what the Dodgers are doing, just like you said, Adam. They're building what their Dodgers are doing, but they're doing the same thing that the Giants did last year, where they're platooning. They're playing the guys to their strengths in order to improve themselves. Now, I thought they're going to get another bullpen arm. I wasn't thrilled with the Michael Givens get. I mean, I know Buck Showalter got him because of his days in Baltimore, and I, I get that, and he has confidence in him, but I thought they still needed one more lefty. But then he said that they're going to put um, when Tyler McGill when he comes back, he's going to be in the bullpen also. So I'm not totally upset that they didn't go and get another bullpen guy, but all those guys that we mentioned, Vogelbach, Naquin, Ruff, if they're available and you see that their schedule is favorable to them playing, you should put them in the lineup because they're in a position to excel. And I'm glad you brought up McGill because I was talking to people about this like several weeks ago and a month back. People forgot about him. That's a guy now. Now he has to get healthy, obviously, but he's a guy that can come in and throw 98 for one inning. Maybe he becomes the eighth inning guy. They could also use David Peterson from the left side. So I think McGill, if he can get healthy, could really be a weapon out of that bullpen. And no one really is mentioning that. 
Yeah, I think the, the, the deal with the relief pitching is sort of opportunity cost. Do, do you think that Michael Givens, who they got as the consolation, do you think that he's even going to make the postseason roster? Because remember, they got Trevor May coming back also. They got Peterson. They've got McGill. Um, will, will Givens even make the postseason roster? And if the answer is no, then they probably said, okay, well, you know, we just gave up nothing to get Givens, but we weren't going to give somebody who would marginally improve. I mean, Robertson, uh, maybe, but uh, I guess they didn't feel that he was worth any cost as an increase over what they, they would have in the playoffs, right? Yeah, you know what? I, I didn't think about that, but there is a chance that Givens doesn't make it, uh, especially if McGill is healthy. I think he becomes a, a power arm out of the pen, and we saw how good he was early in the season. I know that was as a starter. Uh, Peterson could be the lefty. You know, Joely Rodriguez hasn't been good this year. He did have that good Sunday appearance against the Braves that was pretty big, but still a, a lot remains to be seen with him. You know, Lugo is going to be in there. Um, as well as Adovino. So, yeah, there is a chance. I mean, Givens' issue is the same thing that's plagued him throughout his career is walk rate. You know, he's always in a double-digit walk percentage for walks, and you can't have that coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. I think with the offense, they're doing what the Giants did last year in that they're saying, we don't want players. We want to maximize slots. And the way the Mets are, you know, you have Guillaume and Escobar sharing a slot. You have Ruff Vogelbach sharing a slot. Naquin as the fourth outfielder. That's a fantastic fourth outfielder. He has 11 hits as a Mets so far. Seven of them were, are for extra bases. So he's really filled in great. Um yeah, I, I think they, they did a great job. And as you said, their moves came in the in the offseason. And, you know, that, that that's really the way you need to think about it. They, they didn't need the help. I mean, look, they did this all this this year without having their best pitcher pitch. It's crazy to think that. Uh, here, here's an interesting thing I saw about the Mets. Um, uh, the thing about them this year is consistency. There has never been a really bad patch where they were just horrible. Can you tell me, what do you think the Mets' record is in their worst 15-game stretch of the season? I'm guessing, and I don't know this. I don't think they've lost more than three straight games. Is that right? I think they two. I think two is the only Okay, worst. worst stretch, 15 games, man. I'll, I'll say uh, seven and eight. Yeah, seven and eight. Seven, eight. Seven, eight. Wow. Okay, it was a guess. Honestly, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so they're basically a 500 club in their worst half month. Uh, different than the Yankees, who've been hot and cold. So they're very consistent. Uh, it's a great team, and we're, we're really glad that uh, well, their they're... Approach at the, their approach at their plate is a big deal. Like, you know, Spencer Strider came out and said that the Mets were lucky. And I disagree with that because the Mets put the ball in play. And that's what happens. If you put the ball in play, make contact. We talk about this all the time with batting average of balls in play. Yeah, you're going to get lucky. Did Alonso get lucky with that hit on Sunday because it hit the third base back? Yeah, but he made contact. What did the Braves do? Struck out 19 times in that game. And that's the Achilles heel of the Braves. So, And when you're playing well, you tend to get those breaks and things go your way. But if you look at that whole series, the Mets made the defensive plays. They pitched better. And Dansby Swanson said, and he said outside of the two innings on Friday night, the first two when they were up 8 nothing, the Mets outplayed them. And it's the absolute truth. Thoughts, uh, Ruvain, on Jacob DeGrom rest of season? 
Excellent question. I think what we should do is look back to what he did back in 2020, because in 2020, he made a total of 12 starts. He's healthy right now. He's made two starts so far. And with two months left to go, let's say he makes um, another uh, 10 starts, 10, 11 starts. So look what he did in, 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 in 2020. We made 12 starts. He threw 68 innings. He had a caper nine of 13.7, which is just cr it's crazy. This year it's already 15.1, but that's because he had all those strikeouts already. I think you can, if he's healthy, which I, which is a big if, and that's always a big if, they're going to limit his innings, but they're going to limit it to the point where he still be will, he still will be eligible for wins, and he's going to try to push him to, go, to get him stretched out as much as possible, six, seven, maybe eight innings. They, they, if they can go seven innings, that's great, um, because they already tested Edwin Diaz if he can go two innings, and I think that was one of the reasons why they had him go two innings against the Braves. They wanted to see if he can go two innings against the top team, which is what he did, and he succeeded. So I think the best way to look at it is look at the 2020 season just because it's basically the same sample size that you're going to get for this year. Yeah, and I think the grum, the question is health. I think that we've seen that he, I mean, he's throwing hard. His average velocity on his fastball is higher this year than it, than it's ever been. It, it's it's crazy to think that. Um, certainly, they didn't tell him to dial it back in prep. Uh, you think, uh, Adam? You think he'll make it uh, the whole season? I am praying every day that he does, because <laughs> uh, obviously, I, I want to see how far the Mets can go. Uh, I will say yes. I mean, I will. I'm hoping we look back and go, man, that was the best thing that happened. You know, he missed the four months. Because remember, he's really fresh right now. He has not pitched much. Yeah. That's the only thing is he has to build up uh, the the pitch count. Because um, I was at the game on Sunday and my friend was texting me, this is going to be it for him in the sixth. I don't even think he gave up the home run yet. Um, and I knew it too. I was like, yeah, I don't think they're going to push him past 75, 80 pitches. So that's something that needs to happen. You can gradually do that. You know, they're in a good position now. It's not over yet. It's only a seven-game lead. I have friends who are saying, oh, it's the Mets. I think this is a completely different team. It's a different owner. It's a different manager. It's a different culture. If I'm wrong, I'll come back and eat my words. I don't see a collapse. You talked about their consistency this year, and they don't have that extended losing streak. So I don't see that coming. But the Mets have the ability to kind of slow play it with him they don't need to push him and slowly build him up hopefully at some point this year you know he gets to that 100 pitch mark it might take a couple weeks and then in September too if they do lock up the division early or have a comfortable lead you know they can ease him in as well uh, winning the division is so important in this new setup you need to get that first round by you do not want to mess around and play a best of three in that wild card round because you lose game one and the home team gets every game at home in that best of three. But still, you lose game one, you got to win two games to keep your season alive. So the Mets need to do everything in their power to win that division, get that two seed locked up. Very important this year, and hopefully they'll do it. And before we wrap up the Mets, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, since we're talking about the Mets, I wanted to ask a trivia related to what Spencer Strider said. He said the Mets were getting lucky hits. They lead baseball in the number of pitches seen in the first inning. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous number. The Mets' BABIP for the year is 304. That ranks sixth. Can you name the five teams that have a higher BABIP than them? You're asking me? Yes. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, I know the Braves are not one of them because I saw the Braves were, at least when the comment came out, around 298. They so are it's not yes, they're, they're still 298. They're below the Mets, so they're not as, quote-unquote, unlucky as the Mets. 
Okay. Wow, this is a tough question here. All right, so I'm going to throw out some guesses. Let me go Houston as one of them. Houston is right behind them, so no. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, let's go with... Think of the good teams. Yeah, the Dodgers. Dodgers are there. They're number four in batter. So are they lucky or are they good? Yeah, I mean they're good. Exactly. Although I still don't know how I still don't know how they have this record, man. They they don't have a lot of guys having great years. They've had injuries, and they're thirty two and five in the last thirty seven. They're good, but are they this good? I don't I don't I don't think they are. But but can, listen, can I, uh, Pat, can I throw out another guess? By the way, throw out a guess. Go ahead. I'm gonna guess the Rockies, and the reason is Coors Field has a lot of offense. And balls trickle in because the cost of, uh, it's high altitude. It's a h- long home run fences. There's more hitting, more balls fall in. So just because it's the Rockies, I'm gonna say go with that. The Rockies are number one oh, in wow. of this year. Number one, go. which is a crazy thing to think about. I'll now go the other Toronto. Toronto is number two. Toronto's number two. You got two more teams. One's vying for a playoff spot and the other one is not. Well, not really. It's gotta be hitters parks for all these. You know, it, it's better to guess a hitters park question. Um, not Baltimore anymore. Um, well, you got two Yankees. Of Yankees. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's the Yankees. They strike no. out a lot. I'll I'll give you guys another hint. Think about stuff you wear under your shoes. The, the White Sox. The White Sox and, and the, the Red Sox. The Red Sox. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the White Sox are third. The Red Sox are fifth. Not only, and we're talking about the Mets. Their K rate, their K percentage is only nineteen point eight, which is the third lowest in baseball behind Cleveland and Washington, and ahead of Houston. They're third in the MLB in runs behind only the Yankees and Dodgers, and the Braves are right behind them. They also lead the league in hit by pitch, which is seventy eight, which is a very odd stat to have. Yeah, but, they always show Buck Showalter after. I love it. Gets hit, right? Do you like that, Adam, <laughs> on SNY? I now? do. <laughs> it's like you know right away. Like if you know someone that doesn't know baseball and you're watching a game at a bar somewhere. Say, hey, I, I, let's make a bet now. I bet you if a Met gets hit, the immediate next shot is Buck Showalter, and you'll win some money. Yeah, and and, yes. and what they're doing now is it's actually funny because they show Buck Showalter, and then they, they make the screen, like, all red. Like, yes, they did like that this fuming. week. It's really funny to watch. <laughs> well, they're making it a TV show. It's not just watching yeah, a baseball yeah. game. They're making it a TV show. It's something to—it's entertainment, and that's exactly yeah. what they're doing, especially with Edwin Diaz coming out of the bullpen with that music. It's it's entertainment. It's it's psyching the whole crowd up. It's 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 a it's an experience. If you have to be there to see it, I've been to a couple games where Edwin Diaz comes out. The whole stadium stands up as one, and it's intimidating for the other team. It's fantastic. I love the, the new entrance song for Diaz. It's just unbelievable. It's it's an experience. Like you you remember the night. Oh, here's Diaz. It's fantastic. No, it really is. And and you know you mentioned too because I saw that too. They take the most pitches in the first inning. Uh, I think starting pitchers against them are averaging like five innings. And it goes back to with Strider complaining. You know Brandon Nimmo that game let off and had like a 10-11 pitch at bat. Strider had 60-plus pitches in the third inning. That's what the Mets do. They are patient. They work the count full. They don't strike out much, and that's why they're having success because yeah. they really don't have a lot of power. You know, you, you contrast them with the Yankees, and you're seeing the Yankees struggling right now because they're kind of, if they don't hit home runs, it's really difficult for them to score. And that's why they got those uh, acquisitions of Vogelbach and Ruffin. Of course, we have Alonzo already. Uh, of course, uh, when you take Jeff McNeil and you stop him from batting second and put him lower down, and you put Nimmo first, you're going to see more pitches, right? I mean, just that's a matter of fact. Uh, but anyways, in terms of Mets' expectations, um, what do we think? Uh, w- w- uh, oh, 
what is what do you think? How many wins are the Mets going to win this year? Uh, just take a guess, Adam. Um, well, let's see. So they have about um, the September schedule is not difficult. I saw Miami, it's very Washington, easy. Oakland. Um, the schedule this month is tough. Um, they got the Phillies this weekend, Atlanta for four, Phillies again for four, Yankees two, Dodgers. So, you know, if they can get by this month, uh, they should be good for September. So um, I think they can, with the way they're playing, I think they, I think they should win 100, don't you think? Yeah, I was going to guess exactly 100. Yeah, that would put them at, what, 27 and 23? Yeah, something like that. And I think Fangers has 103 right now. Um, I think it's going to be closer to like 101, 102, but they, they need, they must, and we said this right, they have to get that number two seed because if you if you look how things are supposed to play out, the number one seed, this is how the players are going to work. The number one seed will face the wild card series winner between the four and five seed, and the number two will face the three and six. Who those are who those are going to be? That's uh, it doesn't matter. You need to avoid the playing game. Basically, you need to need to avoid that. And I think how far they're going to get in the postseason is going to depend on Scherzer and Degrom. They need both of them to beat the Dodgers. They need both of them to beat the Astros. The other other teams in in the in the majors, I don't think they need both of them. But to beat those two teams and to get through those two teams to win the actual World Series, I think they both need to be healthy. Yeah, Fangraphs gives the Mets an 18.6% chance to win the World Series the most of any team. So, uh, really, it's looking good for our boys. But, of course, we've been, as Mets fans, we've been here before. So, uh, definitely can't count our But you, you do have a different feeling, though, with yes. this team as a period, right? I mean, yes. it's not just yes. me? Yeah. Oh, totally different. And a lot totally of it has to do with the manager and, and how he's managing. He's he's going by the analytics. He's 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 not shying away from it. He's not an old school guy like a I guess a Tony Larusa type who, who who's fighting his everything everything he has in him to go against the analytics. And he's going through yeah. the analytics. He has no problem with the with the splits. He has no problem doing this stuff. As long as he keeps doing that, they're going to keep winning and keep playing the way they are with the confidence that they have. So, uh, strategy section today, well, we're going to talk a little bit about um, navigating some draft strategy and waiver wire pickups. And um, and the reason I wanted to do this today is because Adam Ronis is a fantastic fantasy baseball player. does things actually quite differently than us, but he's ferocious. He never gives up. Uh, and just want to just want to pick his brain about what he does and contrast it with with our our way of doing it. And you know, just to lay out the foundation, you know, we always preach on the show, you know, don't bid on these top players, don't do stars and scrubs in in, in leagues because they're all overvalued. If you look at your value sheets, and we're not strict value drafters, but we're more reliant on that. Um, but in general, Adam doesn't do that, especially in more shallow leagues. You tend to do some stars and scrubs. And it usually does work out with you as well. So maybe, Adam, could you just confirm that what I'm saying is correct about you and, uh, you know, tell us why you, you believe in that strategy and why you think it's working this year for you. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that there are a multitude of ways to win in fantasy baseball. So in our labor auction, which is 12 teams, so I think the first year was two years ago. And that year, I did go in saying, I am going stars and scrubs. I'm going to spend big on four players. And it was working very well. Remember, that was the abbreviated 2020 season where I was pretty much in first place every day except like the last four, and I lost. So I don't know if we can evaluate that because it was two months. Last year, I did something similar. It did not work out. I think Yelich was one of the players that flopped and I think I even had DeGrom last year too which obviously worked out well until he got hurt 
This year, I actually came in and said, I'm not doing it this year. I'm going to spread the money out. And I always preach this for every fantasy sport. You have to adjust to what's going on in the room. Even if it's a snake draft, like, uh, you know, people come in, oh, I'm going to go two pitchers and then... No, you can come in with a blueprint and a plan, but if value starts falling to you, you got to pivot. So what happened in our auction this year was I said, I'm not really spending, I'm not going to spend on the top tier guys. I'm going to, because the last two years was good, but I didn't win. So I'm going to try something different. And I'm sitting there and players are going off the board and I felt everyone was going too low. I was like, wow, no one is spending in this room. So I quickly pivoted and said, okay, if that's the case, there's going to be a lot of money in the middle to the end that people are going to realize, oh, wow, there's not a lot of good players left. So I said, all right, I'm going to start spending. That's why I went Trey Turner, 45, Burns, 31, which is kind of low for a 12 team. So I changed in the middle or at the beginning of the auction, seeing guys aren't spending. But I made a huge mistake, and I don't even know if I've admitted this anywhere. I pride myself on being meticulous, paying attention to not making mistakes. We did this draft online, not in person. I thought Eloy Jimenez was someone else when I was bidding 24. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Jimenez 24? Because that's an overpay. I don't know if it ruined my season, but it was a mistake. And it hurt me because now I didn't want him. Not at that price. He's not, you know, I know he's a good hitter. And we're looking at what's happened because he's gotten hurt a couple times. But that was a mistake. Um, but, yeah, I pivoted. I didn't plan to go stars and scrubs. I just felt early on, I was like, people are not spending money. And I didn't want to be in that position in the middle towards the end where you have a lot of money on the table. And I know it doesn't happen to you guys, even though you don't spend early, but you've seen it with some guys where, oh, wow, this is the best player left. And they wound up spending, I think even someone uh, left money on the table in this one, if I'm not mistaken, not calling no one out. But my biggest problem in this league this year, and I think I'd spoke to you about it playing softball, I am so far behind in at-bats, it's embarrassing. Like, you guys have 350 more at-bats than me. Jeff Zimmerman has almost 400. It's impossible to win like that. And I'll give credit to Jeff because he does a really good job of maximizing at-bats. And I don't think it's me with a ton of platoon players. I've had a lot of guys go on the IL on Monday or Tuesday. And this is a weekly league. This is not like the NFBC where you can make changes on Friday. Even Tout Wars, you can make midweek replacements. So it's happened to me so many times where guys have gotten hurt Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, uh, Colton Wong, catchers, Tyler Stevenson, who's been on the aisle twice now. Um, so when that happens consistently, it puts you behind. Now, you're, I know you're probably like, oh, it can't be all that. I'm probably messed up along the way. Maybe that's possible. I have to look back. Maybe I did. But it's, that's why I'm in such a bad spot right now, even though – I've been second most of the way. The live standings right now, you are ahead of me. You and Ray Murphy have 83 and a half. I have 82. Zimmerman has 102. But we've kind of all been fluctuating back and forth. But we're pretty far behind them. But my problem is lack of at-bats. I mean, Zimmerman has 53-23. I have 48-55. The teams in 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th all have 100-plus more at-bats than me. I can't win that way. It's just impossible. Like, you guys have six more RBIs than me. With 300-plus at-bats. So if I had as many at-bats as you guys, I'm pretty sure I'm ahead of you in runs. I'm ahead of you in RBIs for sure. Maybe not home runs because I think it's 23 I'm behind. Steals, I'm three behind. Our average is the same, and my pitching's been good. So I'm getting crushed by lack of at-bats, and it's so important 
And I like the fact that RT Sports shows it because I find on other sites it's not as easy to find. Yeah, you're right. And that brings up a big point that everyone should know about in, in terms of playing fantasy baseball is that even though at-bats are not a category, you can pretty much see who's winning if you sort by at-bats or even innings pitched, right? It's volume. The more at-bats you have, the more counting stats you're going to And you're being super efficient with your guys, but when you're missing the 500 at-bats, give 10% less at-bats than everybody else, it, it's harder. And so playing time, playing time, playing time is is a key. Even bad playing time contributes to the counting stats. So that's a very, very big lesson to learn in general. And I want to echo a little bit what Adam said. Also, during the draft, the more expensive guys were going cheaper than expected. We we had we had a pivot in our NFF, NFBC league because we saw that, wait a second, a whole bunch of people are saving their money for the middle guys, and the topper guys are going not at value, just slightly above their value, which is worth it for the, for the more expensive guys. And we actually had to pivot our strategy and grab a top guy and grab a top pitcher. Otherwise, we would have been screwed because everyone else had so much money in the middle, and all our bargains in the middle were all gone. They weren't in bargains anymore. Yeah, we had Jacob DeGrom, by the way. We took a stab, $13 stab, so he was extremely discounted. We figured, oh, we'll get half a season out of him at least, right? Uh, so that that helped. That, that hurt a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, uh, you do have to go with the flow always. Now, I do want to ask you a couple questions on some of the exact strategy that you have. So at closers, and this is really a referendum on what's going on this year in closers. And at the beginning of the season, one of the points I made is that you you have to spend the money on some kind of closer. Um, closers are hard to come by. I don't want to spend a lot of money in fab. And in a league like labor where there's a $100 fab only and $1 minimum, those you know there's a limit to the number of transactions you can make, and uh, fab is very precious. Um, I was originally going to say let's go for a closer, but in this particular league, they went really high, and we settled on middle guys. We got Taylor Rogers, We got Soto. Uh, we got uh, Corey Knable, which those worked out for half a year. And we also had Blake Trine, and we had four closers, although he got hurt right away. So we played the middle here. You did something a little bit different. You have Kenley Jansen for 12, so you played a middle guy, and then you just went bottom. You took a stab at Trevino, tab at Hauk. Looking back at right now, you have 37 saves. I mean, you're the top pitching team, but not because of your saves. Do you think that – that was a good strategy uh, for this particular year to not really spend on the big guy and just take one middle dart, go low? Or do you think that maybe you should have taken, you know, paid the overpaid for an Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel Classe, that, that top uh, level? Well, now it looks like I should have paid. I did want Taylor. <laughs> I, I did want Taylor Rogers. How much did you guys pay for him? Because that was one of my targets. Do you six remember? Or eight. Six oh, or eight. Oh my goodness! Okay. Yeah. So I must have been at a spot then where I'll look I it up. I couldn't go another dollar, but I did want him. Um, obviously, it worked out very well for him when he got traded. Now, uh, different story, but you can't foresee that coming. And, you know, you, you already got 28 saves. Rogers, out of $8. Tell it yeah. to Rogers. So, um, yeah, no, I, I wanted to get another one in that 7 to 8 range. It didn't work out. I mean, yeah, this was a year, you know, paying up for those guys worked out. You know, we could easily have been sitting here, and if I had picked up Daniel Bardo free agency, you'd be like, oh, it worked out well for you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, that's the thing. It all depends on who you get. I did get David Robertson, I think, for a dollar off waivers, and it was good for a while. And I thought he was the Phillies guy, but now the last two times out, we've seen Dominguez, so maybe they alternate. I was with you on Kniebel as well. I have him in a, a, a bunch of leagues, and 
I was working out for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it looked like I probably should have uh, should have gotten a second one. Um, I I don't think that's what's costing me though. I mean, I mean, everything matters in this, but uh, it's really my offense that just the lack of at bats is what's killing me. But more important, the, the the reason I ask it is more going forward. Is you know going into next year, you're going to have a similar, I think, a similar situation in the market where there's not going to be that many trustworthy closers. There's more committees in baseball. Whatever was going on this year is going to going to be the same. And a market premium on a clo- closers really aren't worth that much. But because you have to have saves, people overpay for them. Do you think that? Going into next year, you would press get a top closer, or do you think that you probably play the middle? Like, what? How do you think that next year is going to shake out? Yeah, I think I'll have to attribute more money for saves during the auction because if you don't land the closer off the waiver wire, then you're in a position where you're towards the bottom of saves, and then you're chasing every week and you're spending fab on the closer. So, I mean, it's typically something I don't do in auctions i usually like to get one uh, but this is a 12 team league so in a 15 team league like i do a draft with tout wars like i can get away with one in the first 10 rounds and then like this year i did kenley and soto and i'm near the top in saves top four top five so but this is a 12 team league so i think i'm gonna have to allocate a little bit more money to the closer position ruvain any thoughts yeah, I think also the closer position, you should get one solid one who has the possibility of not losing his job at all. Like, get in Edwin Diaz, get in Manuel Classe. You get the strikeouts, you get the saves, and that's a perfect way to start your 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 pitching staff. You can do that. You can do that first, so you know what you have to spend the rest of the, the rest of the auction. You can you'll know what you have to spend on, on on starters and everything like that. I think if you do that and just take a lot of darts and just try to get as many darts as you can early on, that's probably the best way to go because I think that starting pitchers are going to be a little bit more cheaper next year. So if they're going to be more cheaper, then there's no reason why you can't allocate more money into into relievers. And I think that's probably the way the market is going to run next year. Yeah, I'm a big believer in second-tier closers in that the top four closers are usually overpays. The, there's a nice little tier with the next four, like a, a top closer but not the first four. Uh, I think that is a good sweet spot to find, one or possibly two, and I, I like to draw from that as much as possible. I think that the dart game is tougher these days at the bottom. The very top is an overpay, and it's a, it ties up your resources, but there's a nice spot where you're paying more but relative to everybody else, you're not. That's that second tier of closers. We're talking about closers five through nine, something like that. Like Jordan Romano type this year. That really is the sweet spot. Or just maybe allocate more money in your fab budget to get closers off the waiver wire. You can do that as well. Well, it leads me to talk about fab here. Um, so in general, Adam, I've noticed that you have held back your fab. You generally don't spend quite a bit. Your biggest fab pickup this year was Rowdy Telez for $8, Tanner Houck $6, and that's, by the way, after you dropped him earlier in the year, which is interesting because, I mean, listen, you know, the 12-team league, you're going to be shuffling guys anyways, uh, but, you know, you repicked him up. Um, the other thing that you've been doing uh, is catchers. You looks like you look like you've been streaming catchers a lot. I know Stevenson got hurt, but you didn't spend a lot of money on catchers in the draft, uh, and you seem to be playing the 
uh, the game of streaming catchers. Um, what are your thoughts on Fab? Do you enjoy, in general, holding back Fab, just picking the one $2 guys, and, hey, maybe I found a hot outfielder, let's give him a shot for a dollar? Like, is that the kind of game that you like to play? Because you can get a very good return on investment when you're only bidding a dollar to in every player. I've just fallen short on some of my bids. Um, that's been the biggest problem. I mean, Stevenson has been on the aisle twice. I think I got him for like eight bucks, and he was well worth it. I mean, oh, was, ter- ter- yeah, terrific, terrific. He was been great, so it's just he keeps getting hurt. So that's why I've had to shuffle catchers in and out. I don't even remember my second catcher on draft day. But, yeah, every time I pick someone up, they're hurt. Uh, I think I had Mejia. He got hurt. Then I think I got him back. So, yeah, that's that's been a problem all season long. But, yeah, I've just fallen short. I mean, even this week I wanted Jose Miranda, and I guess I didn't go high enough. I think Zimmerman got him for 8 bucks. Um, I also – I don't know if you feel this way. It feel, I know it's a 12-team league. It doesn't feel like a lot of weeks there's, like, great pickups in this league. I, I guess it's the unlimited IL, too, that is depleted a little bit. But there's a yeah. lot of weeks where I'm not, I'm not like, oh, yeah, I got to go grab this guy this week. I mean, do you feel the same? Yeah, it doesn't play like a 15, but I would say not for pitching so much, but I think for hitters it plays closer to 15 than at standard 12, and I think it is because of the unlimited IL that, and I've got 12 guys on my IL and everybody else does, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's consistently had like 10 guys on the IL this year. But, yeah, everyone has to deal with that. Uh, But, yeah, I guess I – I mean, the fab number looks a little bit higher because I did get a fab reclaim on Anthony Rendon for eight bucks, so I should have eight bucks less. But yeah, it hasn't really helped me, and um, I just have not been able to get that uh, big bat off the waiver. I mean, Telez has helped. I mean, he's been pretty good. Um, I did get Nimmo early in the year, but I just yeah, the counting stats because of the lack of at bats have been a real problem. I mean, I didn't I didn't need the pitching, and I pick, picked up Martin Perez for two dollars. Because no yeah, one's wanted back. him, and he keeps pitching well outside of his last outing. Uh, and I picked up Andrew Heaney earlier in the year uh, and held on to him because of the IL spots, and he's been up and down. Uh, Reed Detmers I picked up recently, and he's been very good. But it's the bats that I need, man. I need those bats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, go to Ruben first for this one. Uh, in terms of fab pickups for the rest of the season, um, are you looking for – Obviously, if there's an injury, you're looking for a replacement. But in general, are you looking more towards helping your specific roto categories, or are you looking for best available player? Like, which one is more for you in the last couple of weeks? I think I'm looking for the best available player at this point, especially if we're going to try to win the win the whole uh, league. I mean, we're in second place. We're we're yeah, we're 17 points out of first, 18 points out of first. It's not out of the realm of possibility that if you get a guy who's hot, you can just put him into your lineup and he can help you push push you over the top. But it also matters on how much fab you have left. Like in the league we're in, we only have $19 worth of fab left. So how do you allocate $19 worth of fab for the rest of the season? You want to make sure you have enough for players who get hurt. It's a, it's a lot harder. Adams, and you're in a much better situation. You have much more fab, and you can take care of that. You won't have that much of an issue. So you can spend the extra dollar on the, on the hot guy and try to boost yourself and get those more at-bats that you want. So... It's a matter of how much fab you have left, and you have to allocate it properly and don't run out of fab with two to three weeks left because you'll be left with an empty roster spot. Do you agree with that, Adam, or are you looking more at specific category help? Yeah, I think you look at the categories where you can pick up the most points. So if 
stolen bases are usually a tight category now. It's very difficult to find on the waiver wire. I mean, we could still make trades. I sent two trade proposals out. I got no response. So I don't know if half the league is dead or You didn't what. send them out to me, did you? No, I did it. I, I, we've talked about I just <laughs> – I'm willing to make a trade. I don't know if there's a fit because I yeah, need, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I need uh, offense badly. Um, I have pitching to spare, but I'm assuming with you have DeGrom back now. Yeah, and, yeah, so you have Cabrera and Quintana and Rodon, so, and Wheeler, right. so I don't think you need pitching no, as much. No. So that that's the uh, the issue there. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm looking at categories at this point. Uh, where can you pick up the most ground? I think that's the way you have to look at it and – you know, home runs could be a tight category. You know, if you get a hot week or two, you could pick up three, four points. Uh, steals is definitely one. Average a little bit more difficult to make up at this point of the season. Uh, but, you know, runs, RBIs, homers, steals. Uh, the pitching side, even though I'm still I'm really good in pitching, it's, it's still close. I mean, if I don't get a couple wins, I could lose three, four points easily in the next couple of days. Um and even ERA and WHIP. I have a couple bad outings. I'm in trouble. Um, strikeouts. I'm first, but there is a team, you know, 20, 30 behind. So even though the pitching looks good, can't take the foot off the gas there too because uh, an injury or two could cause me to to lose some points there. Uh, but I think what I'm going to have to do is I, I need as many seven game weeks as possible on offense. And this was a tough week because a lot of teams are playing five games. A lot of teams, and I had some five gamers in my lineup this week, but I'm going to really have to maximize and get as many at-bats as possible because I'm so far in the hole already. Yeah. the one uh, I'll make a couple points. One of them is, yes, I think that you really do need to look at the specific categories. Now, it might be that, uh, uh, you know, hey, um, it's close in a, a lot of categories. Like, do I, do I push in homers versus stolen bases? Well, they're both close. Well, if they're both close and there's – teams competing with me in each, well, you know, you're getting the best guy, right? Sometimes it doesn't matter, but you should at least look at your position in all of them, right? If you're going to make a, a pickup, at least put it where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. And second, bang for your buck doesn't mean that you can gain. It also means that you can lose. It's wherever you are in a situation where it's the tightest category that, oh, no, I'm in danger of losing a couple of quick points or, oh, look, I can get a couple of quick points. Anytime the gradient is really tight between you and the teams above and below, that's where you need the most help, right? It's very, very, very important, not just where can I fit. The other thing I'd say is, you know, it also depends on your standing. If you're in last place, you you got to go for broken these things, and you do have to really maximize categories. If you're in first place, you might just want some some bank stats. So, all right, this here's the best guy available on the wire. We'll just bank some stats for a, a, an injury or a placement, right? You you want to just get value, get expectation of value. So it really depends also where you are in standing and if you're playing from behind or not. Um, anything else to, to, to talk about, um, Adam, in terms of, uh, um, you know, how you think the year's going? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. Um, cause if I don't win, it's not a successful year. So if I finish second, <laughs> oh, I just moved past you. I'm a half point ahead of you now. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> really? No, yeah. It's, uh, 83 and a half, 83 and you're 82 and a half. But yeah, it's wild wow. though. Yeah, it's wild though. Um. The way this league has been, I mean, Zimmerman has pretty much controlled the entire year, um, yeah. and we're all kind of just chasing him, and it's a tight, tight group. But you know, never give up, man. That's the one thing. 
uh, no matter what. And I see a lot of people do it. And it, it actually disgusts me that we have a lot of people in these industry leagues to do it. Like to me, I know there's no money on this, but I take pride if my name's on it. And that's why I try not to join so many leagues because I know if I get sucked in that I'm gonna play to the end. I just think there's people that follow our work. Uh, these are supposed to be prestigious leagues. And I hate the people who just make excuses. Oh, well, I had injury. I was in last place. Was it, I think, last, last year. year? Last year. Yeah, like for the first two, two and a half months. I could have easily just folded up shop and said, all right, that's it. I'm done. Let me go on to football or concentrate on my leagues that I'm doing well. But no, you can't do that. And I fin I got as high as third. I remember you were texting me about it. Right. I got as high as third. And I think I finished fifth. And then people are, oh, well, you did all that for – it doesn't matter, man. Like, this is labor. Like, I, people shouldn't be quitting. I like the fact that tout penalizes people with fab for the next year. But I feel there's too many people in these leagues who just give up, and it's unfair. Like, you don't belong in the league if you do that. Well, Agreed. I, yeah. I, you won't hear any disagreement from me. I'm I mean, I know people don't want to call – I'm not calling anyone specifically out. You know who you are, and everyone is kind to each other. But let's be real here. Like, there's no place for that. Like there's a lot of people, the the elite, there's a lot more people who are in the industry now. In fact, I mean more in football, it's saturated. So there's a lot of people who want to do this. If you're not going to show up for half the year or make excuses, oh well, I had injuries. We all do. We just talked about our. We we've had ten to twelve guys hurt at some point this year. Everyone has. But I just hate the fact that so many people give up and then their excuse. Now, if you have a real situation where you're real sick, because we know this is secondary to real life, I get that. But you can't tell me that, you know, 20% of the people who are giving up are dealing with that. So it just angers me uh, because I take pride in doing this. My name's in it. I'm always going to compete to the end no matter what. And every, every league has one of those, one or two of those guys who do that every year. And after a while, you want to just kick them out of the league because they're not being fair to the rest of the league. Because yeah. if everyone's not competitive, the whole competitive balance fails everything because they're given a certain budget. They're given a budget during the draft. And if they're not going to use it during the course of the year and they're not going to use the fab, it screws up everyone else because everyone else is planning as if you're still playing. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, we can do a whole podcast on how to keep a competitive balance, but uh, definitely I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I play till till the last minute always. Uh, let's do some waiver wire pickups. Uh, who, Adam, are a person or two or three that you would like to pick up this week on your fantasy teams? Yeah, I think Vaughn Grissom is one from Atlanta. I know Ozzy Albies could be back in a couple weeks, uh, but he's got, if you need some stolen bases, he's got some speed. He obviously had a home run in his first at-bat, but I think in pretty much every 15-team league, he's available. So he's someone um, I'll be looking at. He might be already added in some leagues, but I do see, still see him out there. Jake McCarthy, pretty much playing every day for Arizona. He's got a little pop, little speed as well. So uh, those are two bats I take a look at. And um, I don't know how to say his first name from the, the kid from Colorado, Ellie Harris Montero. Is that? Do you know how to say it? Uh... Uh, that's about the best I could do with okay. the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, Chris Bryant's been out. I mean, that's a disaster of a pick yeah. this year. People got so excited for him to go to Colorado. Fortunately, I only got him in one draft Champions League in the NFBC, like round four, because um, I've never been, like, a huge Chris Bryant fan. I'm like, oh, going to Colorado. So I got sucked in, too, and he's been a disaster. Uh, but Montero's had good numbers in the minor leagues. I know it's uh, more favorable for hitting down there in Colorado Springs, but um, strikeout rate wasn't too bad. Uh, so if he can, you know, make contact, especially home games at cores, 
uh, I think he's a guy that you could pick up as well. Yeah. Juan Grissom, I mean, he came straight from double A and to a team that's trying to compete very seriously to win the division. So uh, that is definitely somebody the Braves are trying to try out. Two for four in his debut with a homer. Ruvain, how about you? I have three guys, and actually they're pretty deep. So if you're in a deeper league, a lot of these a lot of these players are available. Lars Newtbar, who's just a great name to say. He's only 7% owned in CBS. Since Don't look at his average now, but since July 4th, he's raised it from 139 to 237. He's got five homers, two stolen bases, 23 runs so far this year, and he's playing basically every day, and he's one of the reasons why the Cardinals traded Harrison Bader. So he's going to continue to get his playing time. Since he's been playing, the Cardinals have been playing well, so he's just going to keep going. Another guy... Pretty deep. Joey Meneses from Washington. He took over first base when Josh Bell was traded. He's only owned in 2% of leagues so far, but in seven games, he's batting 348 with four home runs. That's pretty good. He's going to get his playing time. He's going to hit his bumps in the road. So, But if you get him now, you can get him for his hot streak. Now's the time to do it. Also, this is actually an injury update. Josh Young, the prospect from the Rangers, was just activated off of the IL and is now playing in AAA. He's already homered and already stole a base. In CBS, he's already owned in 19% of leagues. If he's available in your league, I don't know if I don't know if he's available in NFBC yet, but if he's available in your league, he's a guy he may be called up pretty soon because I think the Rangers do want to see what he wants to, what he's going to get, what they're going to get out of him because he was projected to be a starter when the season started. Lars Newtbar is somebody who's gaining playing time. We talked about playing time, playing time, especially if you're in a deep, deep league. He's one of the guys who are going to gain the most from what he was a couple of weeks ago, so I like that pick. I'll throw out Paul DeYoung, 20% owned on CBS since back, batting 333, four homers, 13 RBIs, and just 41 plate appearances. He is an instant add in 15-team leagues. In 12-team leagues, I think he's a pretty decent add as well. If he's not owned in your league, Check him out really, really quick. Cardinals are a good team fighting for the division. Derek Hall, 25% owned. He has eight homers in 30 games this year and not a stinky average. 274 average for the Phillies. Does not play every day, but those are very good numbers uh, for there. Especially if you're in a daily league, he should be owned. Um, closer alert, Ian Kennedy, two save, couple, uh, two, three saves this September. He's on there. Rowan Wick has been gain- the guy who's gaining saves in Chicago. If you need it and you're in a deep league, Rowan Wick's looking good. And how about Edwin Diaz's brother, Alexis Diaz? Looks like he's going to be the Reds' closer. I'd pick him up if you really need the saves. Just an alert. Tyler Glass now, he might actually play. Now, I don't know if he's going to have the innings count, but if you're in a head-to-head league with playoffs, you know, and, and especially one that rewards strikeouts— could be interesting. Just grab. He'll be f- almost free right now, and especially if you have an IL and stash, might be an interesting name. So just a number, you know, something to consider if in the right situation. Anyone actually, else? Actually, when you mentioned Tyler Glass, now he was going to be in my injury update. Um, he actually, the pitching coach said there's not a zero chance that he's going to pitch this year. He's been pitching already, throwing bullpen sessions. His velocity is between 98 and 99, and he's expected to face live hitters in about a week and a half to two weeks. Pitcher preview. Uh, it's where we highlight some interesting matchups this week or two-star pitchers. Uh, anyone to throw in there, Adam, for a pitcher you want to pick up this week? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know how what a, the ownership rate is, but Dustin May has been absolutely tearing it up in his rehab, and it looks like he's going to make one more rehab start and then come back. Uh, I think we like to pick on Washington, so uh, Justin Steele or Drew Smiley are lined up to face them 
early in the week next week as well. Yeah, excellent. I think May is scheduled to pick, pitch at the end of this week against Miami. Uh, so, uh, and then he he would be slotted against Miami again the following week. So definitely very, very good choice there. And yeah, Steele is uh, one of the guys I was thinking of as well. Ruvain, what about you? I have James Caprillion from the Athletics. He's got a possible two start against Texas and Seattle. Last three games, two and one, two seven six ERA, fourteen strikeouts in sixteen and the third innings. Only twenty seven percent in CBS. He's a guy you can look at, and a guy also if you don't have to worry about your ERA and WHIP blowing up because your ERA and WHIP are gone already. Glenn Otto of Texas. He's six percent owned in CBS. He's going to be facing James Caprillion in one of the starts, and he's also at Minnesota. He's got seventeen strikeouts in his last sixteen innings. He was one of the prospects that was traded from the Yankees over to the Texas Rangers for Joey Gallo. Um, and he's available in most leagues. He can get you a bunch of strikeouts because he is one of the top guys. If you rank your pitchers in the Fab according to strikeouts, he's one of the top guys there. And if you can handle the hit and ERA and WHIP, he's a guy you can go after. How about J.P. Sears, another Yankees guy over there? Uh, he's playing Texas and Seattle this week. Interesting. He's done well so far this year. Uh, how about uh, Nick Pavetta? This is for Shao League guys. He's not universally owned. He's only owned in 70% of leagues. This week he faces at Pittsburgh, at Baltimore. Uh, gobble, gobble. I would uh, go for Nick Pavetta this week. Uh, do want to call attention to two more guys. One is uh, Jose Suarez. Only 15% owned on CBS. Last three starts, 17 innings pitch, 16 strikeouts, zero earned runs. I understand it was against Oakland and Kansas City, but that's still pretty decent. He faces Seattle next, so he's an interesting person to look after. And Dakota Hudson, pitching pretty well. Um, he's against Colorado this week, and then next week at Chicago and versus Atlanta. Um, remember, we talk at this time of year, there's the – two-star pitchers, but there's in the future two-star pitchers. When you see a pitcher that's lined up for two starts the following week, you can get him for almost nothing right now because people are more interested in right now picking up whoever's pitching this week two starts. But if you have the bench room and you want to pick them up, even if they have a bad start this week and you want to hold them for the following week, you get them for free. And free is free, and it always makes a good return on investment, especially when fab is low. So check out Hudson for this week as well. Anyone else want to throw out a name? We're, uh, we're, I think I think we pretty much got the guys. Yeah, Suarez was a guy I picked up this past week in Tout Wars because nice. he had the Oakland matchup, and uh, that worked out very well. Yeah, yeah good job there. Injury report, Ruvain. Uh, what are the injury update for this week? Well, we'll start in Oakland with Paul Blackburn. He injured his finger. He has an inflamed right middle finger. You mentioned J.P. Sears. He's being called up, and he's going to be one starting in instead. Orlando Garcia was the one who was placed on the IL to have Vaughn Grisham called up. Ozzy Albies has, is still a couple of weeks away from coming back, so it looks like Vaughn Grisham will get the playing time. Clayton Kershaw, he's on the IL with his back injury. He did receive an epidural injection this past week. Now, he did, he was diagnosed with a herniated disc a couple of years ago. I think it was back in 2016. Herniated discs don't go away unless someone has surgery for them. So this is going to be this is a chronic thing. Hopefully, the epidural injection will help and be able to be back on the field pretty soon. Tanner Houck was placed on the IL with low back inflammation. We don't know how bad it's going to be for now. Garrett Whitlock and John Schreiber are possibilities to close until Hauk returns. Matt Carpenter was placed on the aisle with a fractured left foot. 
Miguel Andujar is called up. If you want some at-bats, he may get some at-bats for you. And I'm going to end with two more. Tim Anderson, he injured his finger swinging the bat. He had a sagittal band tear in his left middle finger. He's expected to be out six to eight weeks. That's possibly the rest of the season. So if you have him, if you drop him, I don't think anyone's picking him up anytime soon. And lastly, I think we should keep bicycles away from both Madison Bumgarner and Chris Sale. Both of them have fallen off. Both of them had fractured their wrists and had problems. Um, Madison Bumgarner did it a couple of years ago on a dirt bike. Chris Sale did it this year. He's got a fractured right wrist. He had to have surgery to have it repaired. He's done for the year. There's something wrong with Sale. He seems like this immature type of guy that just irresponsible with that. I mean, remember, remember there was an incident where he cut up a bunch of jerseys in the clubhouse before a game? Like, what the hell's wrong with this dude? But he's a very good pitcher, so if you have him and he's healthy, then he's worth it. But at this point, he's yeah. just a drop. Well, that's the end of our show. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I knew it would be a blast with you. And uh, before we let you go, please uh, promote whatever you have and tell everybody where we can uh, read your stuff and listen to your stuff. Uh, you're always on SiriusXM Radio and uh, – the podcast with uh, with Howard Bender, Anti Up, always a really good show to listen to. Uh, just just such welcoming. Uh, I love listening to you guys. It's just such a warm show. Appreciate that. Yeah, you could find all my work fantasyalarm.com. My fantasy football rankings are up there now. I also do some betting content for pickswise.com on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio regularly Tuesday through Thursday, midnight to two a.m. Eastern. And the Anti Up podcast was on a hiatus. It is now back uh myself and howard bender uh we cover a variety of topics and things sometimes go off course so it, like you said it's like two guys kind of talking at a bar uh, we have a good rapport and good chemistry so it's a lot of fun covering all sports um so you can find that uh wherever you get your podcasts awesome stuff who anyone about you you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates and when they're going to come back, next player up, and everything like that. Plus, you can get all the players I mentioned and additional players who are also injured on my weekly article on Roto Bowler that comes out every Saturday to help you with your fat pickups that week. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my stuff over at Fangraphs and over at Roto Bowler. Um, my Twitter handle is ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to the podcast right here every week. Beat the Shift, presented by Fangraphs. All right, once again, thank you so much to Adam Ronis for joining the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.